and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Tuesday afternoon. Hello for me from the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I will be at Kevin Durant's um, first game as a son on Wednesday night. Um, and joining me from across the country in Seattle, Washington, is the machine Kevin Pelton. What's up, Pelton? Nothing much. So... Uh, by the way, did I see that the Seattle Storm just sold a portion of the team for a valuation of $150 million? Yes, which is the highest valuation ever for a uh, female professional sports franchise. So a pretty incredible milestone. Wow. After losing Brianna Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was, I mean, it's just a portion of the team. It's not someone buying for 150 but <laughs> just take a moment to... Let that sink in for a second. Anyway, okay, so it's March. At least it's March when this pod comes out. It's February in this exact moment. But that means it's time for large sample size theater. We had you on in the fall to talk about small sample size theater. We're going to revisit some of those topics. But um, before we get into it, I just I think we need to take a look at what happened with uh, the big news. In addition to Durant coming back, LeBron exiting. So LeBron is going to be out for multiple weeks um Woj reported that it'll be um uh two weeks before he even gets reevaluated uh i've heard what the injury is but i don't um that's not confirmed so i don't want to say for sure and then get attributed to me and then not be 100% right but i've heard it's basically it's not a sprained ankle it's a it's a tissue injury and you know that's there's nothing you can do you can't play on it you just got to let it heal so um the Lakers were just ramping up Belton. They had actually moved up in the standings. Their schedule was favorable, although they're playing in Memphis tonight, which won't be would have been hard even with LeBron played. Um, what do you think their outlook now realistically is? And by the way, I think D'Angelo Russell is going to miss a couple more games um, with his own ankle injury, um, maybe by the end of the week. But so they're going to be without LeBron and D'Angelo, at least for maybe for another game or two. So what do you think their outlook before we get into this large sample size theater is now? Yeah, I mean, it feels like every time that there's some momentum for the Lakers this season, people start saying, look out, they're not a team that you want to see in the first round of the playoffs. Unfortunately, something seems to go wrong, typically an injury for them this season. And that was you know, kind of one of the reasons that I didn't feel like if they were making a trade primarily about this season, that that made sense for them to give up one of these two first round picks, because you, you just don't know, unfortunately, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James at this stage of their career, that they're going to be able to stay healthy for an extended period of time. And, you know, the Lakers haven't had long stretches with both of those guys in the lineup. Uh, the good news is, number one, the trade they made is something that can help them down the road and, you know, maintains flexibility for, you know, trying to sign Kyrie Irving this summer and gives them the opportunity to potentially retrade some of the guys that they acquired because they're going to retain their value and, and have contracts beyond the season, except for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, and then number two, I, I guess the good news is that the, the ranks in the, the play-in contenders are thinning a little bit in the West. It feels like Oklahoma City is dropping off here a bit with Shea Gilgis Alexander missing some time lately. Uh, that maybe they're not going to make a, a super serious push for the play in, but you've still got 12 teams for 10 spots here. Uh, a team we're going to talk about in a little bit, Portland, very much in the mix, still ahead of the Lakers among the teams outside the play in looking in. And, uh, 
you know, they're better equipped with the the depth they've added in that trade, I think, to withstand a LeBron James injury. But the important piece is still going to be, obviously, Anthony Davis. They're four and five this season when AD plays and LeBron doesn't. And he's put up overall pretty monstrous numbers in those games, 28.16 rebounds per game. And the good news, I guess, from Sunday was that it was the most maybe AD has looked like that early stretch of the season since he came back from this most recent injury. Yeah, I mean, you know, when they when December AD was first, second team, all NBA level player. And that's the way he looked. Mm-hmm. We'll see if he can maintain it. He does have some support, some support around him. One of the things I've been saying as the Lakers have been ramping up is that they have to deal with the fact that for 50 games, they were a bad team and they carry that millstone around their neck, that two and 10 start, which they're still really trying to recover from. And, um, and they just don't have margin for error. You know, I mean, a lot of teams in the West and in the East, but certainly in the West have had these big periods where they've been missing star players. I mean, you're not going to get, um, you know, people up, you know, feeling sorry for them if they're in Phoenix or they're the Clippers or they're the Warriors. Um, uh, New Orleans, a team that had enough kind of margin for that they've been able to survive this Zion Williamson injury and still be in the play. Right. right. So, I mean, that's just part of it, but because of that, situation they they can't i mean i'm sitting in charlotte here monday night they're just getting going in charlotte it was too late to save their season and arguably they were hurting their lottery chances but they were just getting some momentum they've got five straight wins and i don't know maybe they'll go ahead and beat phoenix and make it six straight but um they were just getting five straight wins a lamello ball who was just playing some of the best really one of the best stretches of basketball of his career in this last uh, two weeks um he had, uh, I think, had over 10 assists in four of the last six games. He is three-point shooting. He'd never been better. He had made five threes, I think, in four, at least five threes in four or five straight games. When he went down Monday night against the Pistons, a game the Hornets won, he had made six out of seven threes um, that night. And then he just, in a freak accident, I, I don't know, I'm not being not an accident, but a freak play, pivots, plants, and fractures his ankle. Um, so, you know, what, what are the Hornets going to feel bad for the Lakers? I mean, that's just the, that's just the reality. And, and, and they, they have to own that the roster that they had created this situation that a LeBron and look, this is LeBron's fifth year with the Lakers. The majority of the seasons he's had some sort of tissue injury that has knocked him out for a significant amount of time, whether it was the abdominal muscles or the groin injury. Um, he had the, the one year in the, in the, um, where he just had just bad luck where Solomon Hill landed on his foot. That's a, a what if season and totally messed him up. Um, that was not, you know, but that's just, that's just something that's going to happen. But LeBron, you have to, you have to understand LeBron's probably going to miss some time now. He's not, he's not going to be a warrior. He's going to be able to play a few things anymore in his late thirties. So um, we'll see what the Lakers can do. I mean, it's, it's going to be a difficult time. So um all right, I want to get into the large sample size theater. Um, you wanted to start off with Dame Lillard, who had 71 the other night. Um, we were doing the podcast, uh, Kevin, and I was like, uh, Dame has uh, 13 points in the first six minutes or something. And he ended up with 41 in the first half. Um, the Rockets came out in the third quarter. Did you watch the game? I missed the game, unfortunately. Okay. So the Rockets came out in the third quarter, in my opinion, with the don't get historically 
embarrassed defense. They were trapping him, high hedging, sometimes even rotating a third guy over. And Dame was passing, and they were still scoring. Um, the Rockets were also scoring. The game was a high-scoring game, and that's why Dame was able to keep the the pedal down. Um, then the Rockets sort of eased off of it a little bit in the fourth, and he went scoring again. I think he put up 20 more in the fourth. But they they they, they kept him to, I think, nine points in the third quarter. So he only had 50 going into the fourth, and then he had 21 in the fourth. But, right. Um, but <laughs> had he... Had they not done that, which I guess you, what you want is a team to apply pushback. You know, Dame was great, but you don't want the team to just. I I didn't watch the Raptors game when the Raptors played against Kobe, so I I, I don't know how how I just can't speak to that. Um, but uh, the least the Rockets were like, no, we're not going to let this happen on us. But had they not done that, had they kept playing that way, Dame was hot enough that he could have gone for 80 plus in that game that, and, and by the way, he, at the very end of the game, he started jacking a little bit, he put up a couple of shots and he got real tired when they pulled him out of the game with like a minute left, he was totally gassed. He gave it all, but he, he took a couple of loose shots late, but before that he had 66 points on 32 shots, probably the most efficient performance ever at that point i don't know what will the, the in the will hundred in the will hundred point game he made every free throw didn't even go like 28 of 28 it, it was something like that. Well, i don't think it was that that high but it but it was unusually effective for him at the free throw right. but i i i did see i didn't look this up to confirm it that this was the most efficient 70 point game ever which yeah. obviously is not a super long list but he already in one that i was at late last month against utah had the most efficient 60 point game ever so that's yeah. that's Damian Lillard's so 2023 gonna, so far. Yeah, I'm going to hand this over to you, but I will say that you know he 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 played for years with that abdominal injury, and certainly played through all through months of last year with it, and his health has been on display as his movement is much more quick quick and fluid this year. I mean, it's wild because you did wonder, you know, obviously the abdominal was limiting him last season. You don't drop off as much as he did from the year before without that. But you're also like, you know, he's in his thirties now. Is this the start of kind of the gentle decline for Damian Lillard? Right. And instead right. he's having arguably the best season of his career, despite the fact that kind of the Blazers record doesn't reflect it. Since January 1st, he's averaging 36.5 points per game, which would be the most oh. since Michael Jordan in 86, 87. And then you look at really the start of this run was another game that I was at January 12th against Cleveland. He scored 50 and another loss in 19 games starting then 39.4 points per game for Damian Lillard on 52, 41, 96 shooting splits. Mm. (laughs) 96. for, this is not exactly large sample size, but that's a quarter of the season, 19 games. It's not tiny sample size either to be averaging basically 40 a night. He is in that stretch. He has scored 40 plus nine times out of 19 games, and he has scored fewer than 30 four times. Wow. So, you know, I was starting to think the other day about my all NBA team. The guards are always hard, but, you know, I don't know. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. I, I don't know. I don't want to say that. They're, 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 they could still make it. But, you know, they had that, that homestand. Um, what was it in late January 
or was this maybe was this they go two and four and five maybe or they, they had like this really long homestand and they just they went 500 or slightly under 500 and like they needed to kill that mm-hmm. and they're kind of fighting through that because then they went on the road and they struggled on the road so but you know you look at him and he's having an unquestioned all nba season and the blazers have to feel great about giving him that extension you know um to make sure he was happy and settled and they did it you know not knowing how he was going to come out of that surgery and um you know, they did it because they had to right because if, if you don't you're causing problems <laughs> but um it, it's sort of the subtext of the baxter holmes feature that he wrote on monday that we published on monday on on espn about damon lawyer's like the number of people who pointed out, yes, he's been extraordinarily loyal to Portland, but he is the, the franchise has been very loyal and has rewarded him financially yeah. in return. So it's gone both directions right. there. Right. So early in the season, um, we were talking about how there were, I think when we did the pod, there were eight guys averaging 30 points. Mm-hmm. Um, Lillard was one of them. Um, I don't think he was at that point, was he? Oh, he wasn't. Oh, maybe I'd, you would remember. I'd have to go look me. up the list, but I, I don't think he was. Because he started, I don't want to say slowly, but certainly not anything. He like did. He actually lately. didn't look great in the preseason, and I was wondering. I mean, yeah. it, you know, coming off the injury, it's not stunning, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. Actually, I thought so. Durant, I know Durant is at twenty nine point seven off the top of my head because I looked up yep. the stats today. Um, so he he slipped just under thirty. But um, now that we have the large sample size with this scoring, I remember you had a bevy of numbers that you were you know, showing us in the, in the fall that, um, in November that we'd never seen scoring like this. How has that held up? It has continued to hold up. So yeah, Dan was at 28.6 when we recorded that he also dealt with some injuries and it only played eight games to that point. Uh, so now we have six guys averaging 30 plus who are qualified for the scoring title. If the season ended today, Duran Duran is right there. Although I don't know if he'll keep it up with this team, but right. Uh, Giannis, Luca, Embiid, SGA, Dame, and Tatum, and six would be the most in a season in NBA history. The all-time record was five in 1961-62, which is the highest scoring season of all time. Yeah, so um, we've continued to see it. Um, shooting remains very good. Um, you know the the take foul situation seems to have added a, like a, maybe like a bucket a game, so to speak, you know, maybe there was one a game where there was, I'm just saying anecdotally, you probably know the number, but um, I, I mean, feel it's like about how many take fouls there were. Yeah. Right. Like I feel like one and a half times a game, there was a guy on a breakaway that would get grabbed and the announcer would go, they really got to get rid of that. And uh, they did. And so I feel like those are now uh, buckets um, going the other way. So, um, and just, you know, super high scoring. I I mean, the defense is not being played like it was before in terms of like using physical hands, but they haven't been able to use hands in a long time, like 15 Mm. years. The hand check has been gone, maybe longer. It's longer. I probably, we probably don't want to admit how long it's been since we were both covering the league then. I know. I know. I got gray. Here's gray's coming in here, Pelton. Um, uh, but defense definitely has fallen off. There's no doubt about that, but I, I often see teams playing good defense, what I consider good defense and just getting beat because the level of shooting is just so strong. And, um, I, I, I do think that there's the style of hunting so many threes, 
has harmed the aesthetic view of the game. Um, some of these games that are super high scoring, even though you're seeing great skill, you're not feeling like it's always great basketball. Um, there's a little bit of empty calories in some of it, but generally we just have incredible skill. And, you know, when you like Dame the other night, he was five, I think he was five of six from beyond 30 feet, or at least he started five of six. He might've missed one later. And I, I got that from the uh, Blazers broadcast, um, which is a very good broadcast, by the way, uh, Kevin Calabro, they do a great job. And um, it was funny. Um, while the, while I was watching the broadcast, um, uh, they were chiding the national media um, for, they're like, they better pay attention to Dame in the morning, you know, like, you know, cause I think when Dame had scored 60, he didn't get much play on the national news because I think it was during Super Bowl week, um, the national shows. And it was funny. I was literally at the exact moment I was on get up and first take the next morning. And I was literally as Dame was putting in those number, putting up those numbers. And they were saying they, if they don't, if, if they don't, if he, if they're not on the, if this isn't featured on the national, I was literally like going over our rundown for the next morning where Dame was in the front of the show. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you score 71, even if it's late on a Sunday night, uh, you're going to get noticed, but um, I'm sure there I wanna... was also some frustration because after Dame and Jeremy Grant didn't play in that first game coming out of the all-star break in Sacramento, right. where they had the bizarre travel schedule of being stuck yeah. on the Timex seven hours one day and not being able to fly out. I think they got there like 3 PM the day of the game. And that's everyone right. immediately says, oh, the Blazers are tanking. The Blazers are tanking. Like, no, no, they, Damian Lillard has no interest in tanking. He, he does which, not Which he, which he vociferously said, yes, like he came out and said that. And, you know, the, the next day I was in Phoenix, I think I was in Phoenix and Shea Gildas Alexander set out the second end of a back to back. And it was like, are they, are they starting this again? And then he's missed the next three games. So, or at least the next two. Um, so with a hip injury. So like the problem is, is that it's like the boy who cried wolf we've seen so much of this stuff and, you know, including from certain teams that when you see it, you know, they've always, cause they've always announced injuries because they stopped, you know, they didn't want to, you know, they try to avoid load, load management stuff announcing. So that's, you I mean, it's not Dame's fault. People are reacting to what they're seeing, you know, Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by.
So anyway, um, where were we at? Oh, so I want to talk about a uh, large sample size theater that I saw, uh, which is Lowry Markkinen, um, who was hot to start the season when he got there in a new role. Um, he was hot in the summer playing for Team Finland. Um, and um, um, and has remained hot, you know, ended up, um, you know, starting in the all-star game in, uh, and so he Pelton has just had a spectacular season. I, I, I haven't gone through the most improved player, um, you know, process yet. I think you're going to have a hard time beating him. So he has now played 56 games. Um, and he is averaging 25 points. He's shooting five more shots a game than he did a year ago, playing four more minutes. Um, he's shooting 41% from three, uh, his best of his career on nine threes a game. Um, I'm sorry, on seven threes a game. Um, that's more than he's ever shot. Uh, that's a significant percentage, 56 games in shooting seven threes a game. That's shooting 41% is pretty spectacular. He's shooting 60% on twos. Again, the best he's ever shot. He's averaging eight rebounds, which is the most since his second year when he played a little bit more inside. Um, he's even passing the ball while he's averaging a career high in assists. So marketing to me looks like this could be legitimate Pelton. Yeah, and we haven't seen much, if any, regression over the course of the season from him. I mean, December was probably his best month, but uh, even though his efficiency has dipped a little bit since then, it's come with him taking on an even larger share of the offense. His usage rate is over 20% since New Year's Day after being you know, in the, the 24 25% range uh, the first two and a half months of the season. So understandable, you would see some decline there. If you look at it year over year, among players who played at least 1,000 minutes both seasons. He is in the top 10 for both players who have most increased their usage rate this season from last year and the mm. players who have most increased their true shooting percentage from last year. So that's a pretty awesome combination because usually what we see, and you know, you can see this with some of the players who are in the top 10 in that usage rate change, uh, Kelton Johnson being at the top of that list, is right. you're, you're asked to create more of your own shots you become a little bit more efficient. That's the trade-off for you know taking on a larger role offensively. He has managed to do it while getting even better as a, as, in terms of his efficiency, and that that's a pretty good formula, I think, for most improved player. Yeah. So um, he is extension eligible, but I got to be honest with you, I'm, I don't see I, I don't I don't um, I don't see him taking it because I think he sh can wait for for a bigger offer. Um, We'll see. So the um, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I could be wrong. Um, so in talking to people who are around the league, I just want to correctly veil that so nobody can guess who I'm talking to. Um, it sounds like there are going to be changes to the extension rules in the new CBA, which they are hopefully getting into the stretch run of. They have a deadline at the end of March, so they have some time left. Um, there's still some things to haggle out, such as the um, age rule. I think there's a good chance the age rule is going to go away, but the terms of it are still being negotiated. So I, know, I want to say that there are going to probably be some adjustments from what I am told to the um, luxury tax rules. There may be sort of, there's not going to be a hard cap, which I could have told you a year ago, but 
I think there's going to be some changes depending how, on how deep you are into luxury tax. There's going to be some different rules about what you can do, which already kind of exists um, um, with the tax apron. Um, but anyway, uh, the extension change rules, but I don't think that they're going to go into effect because there's still one year left on the CBA. Am I, if I'm not wrong, Pelton. Um, uh, I don't know if they could opt out. I, 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 I think, not lock I think that the opt-in is at the end of this season. Okay, so they could opt out and replace it. So, um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But you know, it could apply to a guy like Markinen. Mm-hmm. Could apply to a guy like Dejounte Murray. Could apply to a guy like Jalen Brown. Guys who right now aren't. It's not in their incentive, financial incentive, to extend their contract, and they could end up going to free agency without, even if they want to stay. So, Markinen, I'm sure, is keeping an eye on that. Um, and it sounds like there's still going to be some sort of limit. You know, what our colleague Bobby Marks has suggested is that they just say, look, whatever contract you can sign as a free agent, let people sign as an extension. And it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. So that that could be important for marketing because say if it's a 50% raise, which would be substantially more now, the, the largest raise you can offer in the first year of an extension is 20%. That still would only be $27 million for him in 2025-26. And when you look at the coming, you know, TV money, even though that that is probably going to get smooth this part of the CBA, still I think that twenty seven million dollar first year salary he might be able to beat that. Yeah, that's true. So that'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, look, I don't want to get too far in the weeds. He's got time left on his contract, but um, the point is he has been terrific, and um, he is now a piece they're going to build around. Um, so when we did this small sample size theater in the, in the, in the fall, I remember going down the Celtics shooting and like every single player on their team was shooting over 40% on threes and like over 85% from the line. Um, it was the exact inverse of last season where they were ice cold as a team, not ice cold, but they were chilly as a team for the first couple of months. They were like 500. And then all of a sudden they got hot in the second half progressed to the mean this year they've come back a little bit, but what have you found about those percentages with the Celtics who've maintained the best record, small sample size and large sample size? Yeah, I mean, I think there's still a little angst about the fact that the Celtics haven't been as dominant as they were early in the season. And I would point to that shooting regression is the number one factor in it. Uh, I I have a number of data points here that are kind of like, pay attention to shot quality as measured by second spectrum's metrics because it better predicts what you're going to shoot the rest of the season. Right. You're a big believer in that. Yeah. I mean, it just like, to me, the, the proof is in the predictions and uh, we'll we'll talk about one. That's an outlier here that it has not regressed to the mean, but a lot of them have Uh, the Celtics. When we did this back in November, they were second in effective field goal percentage in the league. I think they probably led the league if we would have looked at it at the end of November or slightly later on. Uh, At that point, they were fifth in the quantified shot probability measure that Second Spectrum uses that's, you know, the the type of shot where it's coming from. And then also that one factors in the ability of the player. So that's kind of, you know, about what you would expect a team to do over a large sample size. Lo and behold, you look at it now, the Boston Celtics are fifth in effective field goal percentage. There you go. Okay. Your, your metric is coming home there. So, um, but it hasn't really slowed them down. They've continued to win. 
And yeah, part of it is defensively, they were not at that same level. And it's a combination of probably they were somewhat unlucky early in the season. And then more importantly, the return of Robert Williams, the third to anchor that defense has, has transformed it. So that's, it's, it's more like the Celtics. I think we expected coming into this season or, or saw in last year's playoffs than the all offense version. We got the first month with Williams out. And you said you've seen some of the same stuff from the Bucks as well, who don't seem to ever lose. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks were kind of an interesting flip side example. Their defense was much better in the early going than we would have expected based on the shots opponents were getting. They they had improved kind of the shots they were giving up by reducing the number of threes they were giving up, which was a, a big focus in training camp for Mike Budenholzer. But then offensively, all of these games were rock fights because they couldn't score. So there, there were three teams in particular that stood out as the most unlucky shooting teams by this metric through the first month of the season. The Lakers were 29th at that point in effective field goal percentage. The Bucks you think were 25th. that was luck? <laughs> it, 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 they they weren't that bad, yes. Okay. The, and then the Nets were 11th, which still was worse than we would have expected based on them having Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Lo and behold, you look at it now. The Lakers are 16th. They're league average at this point. The Bucks are 15th. Yeah, that's true. Also league average. Okay. And Brooklyn, despite trading Durant and Irving, despite Durant's surgery, still second in the league ineffective field goal percentage right now. Well, they still have good shooting. Um, they don't necessarily have terrific uh, isolation play, although we're going to talk about that in a second, but they still have good shooting. Um, so that's not super surprised, but they are falling in the standings. They play the, the uh, Knicks tomorrow. You know, how many times in a row did the Nets beat that? I think they beat the Knicks 10 times in a row. The Knicks finally beat them a couple of weeks ago. And now the Knicks have passed them for fifth place and they play them again. Uh, I believe it's in the garden Wednesday night and can beat them again. Uh, if they go for their seventh straight win and like are putting significant space in between them and the play in line. So, um, uh, but speaking of the nets, um, maybe this is somewhat small sample size because he's only played five games for the nets at the time of this pod. But I want to talk about Mikhail bridges. Um, I, having spent some time around the Suns last year, I'm still around the Suns, my second time with the Suns in the last week. Um, I have, I've just believed that Mikhail Bridges had more to, more to show offensively than he had in the past. Um, he was just a corner, a three and D corner guy in the past. And I just noticed when he got a little bit of ball handling last year, there was a period where uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul were out. I think one of them had COVID. I can't remember, but they're out for like seven to 10 games, both of them. And in that time, they just handed playmaking over to Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges and their, their, their production went up. And I remember just, and then I remember seeing Bridges. I covered the series with the Pelicans uh, Suns Pelicans last year. And I just saw Bridges make some plays that I just didn't know he had in him. And so I felt that he had more in him. And then this year with all the injuries, he, they asked more of him. And so it is more than just these five games. He's, you know, he's played um, 61 games this season and he has been a more dynamic um, playmaker. He is playing more minutes. He's taking uh, about three and a half more shots a game and he's averaging uh, three more points a game. And since he's come to Brooklyn, now this is small sample size, Belton, but in the four, the five games in Brooklyn, he's averaging 22, um, 22 points and getting 15 shots a game. They're featuring him. Um, he had that 40-point game 
which elevated that stat load, but he's still shooting over, over 50% from the field, which by the way, he has done three times in his career. It is not an aberration for him to do that. So if you, so if he's able to keep that, those, that efficiency up on more shots, that's something to really watch. Now he's, He's been red hot from three-point range since he's come to the Nets. I, I'm not sure that that's going to continue. Um, but uh, he is a great free-throw shooter, so we put the ball in his hands and he gets to the line more. He's going to be efficient there. Um, he has demonstrated the ability to um, distribute a little bit. He's not going to be your point guard, but you can give him the ball and he can he can make some stuff happen. And he's a pretty good rebounder, um, you know? And so... <sighs> I think this is a, a, a breakout season for Bridges. I think that he's going to continue to be a breakout season for Bridges. And I think you're going to see a guy who is a lot more than just a three and D player in, um, you know, I think I've seen enough to declare it a large sample size Pelton. It's interesting because I feel like if we would have had this conversation even a month ago, I would have been much more pessimistic about Bridges taking on a larger role. So, you know, we talked about that year to year change in usage rate. He's had the sixth biggest jump in usage rate of anyone in the league. It's uh, Kelton Johnson's number one. Malik Monk is number two, going from playing the spot up role in the Lakers to being kind of a focal point of the second unit in Sacramento. Markinen is third. Jalen Brunson is fourth. Tyrese Maxey playing with that second unit. And Philly is fifth. And then Mikhail Bridges. In his case, he has the 11th largest drop in true shooting percentage year over year, mm. which is okay. kind of, I think, what you'd expect. But I, I do think the more recent signs, even beyond the Brooklyn stretch, are positive. You go back to January 13th, which uh, is a stretch of 18 games. He's averaging 23 points a game, 22.9, 4.2 assists in that span. And and his splits also flirting with the 50-40-90 in that period, 49-40-92. And I mean, I mean, if you're a 50-40-90 player, you should get more usage. Till you're not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not a bad rule with them. Uh, in terms of his role change, I thought this was interesting. If you look at second spectrum's tracking of ball screens last year, he ran 144 all season, even with that stretch where he had the ball a little more when Booker and Paul were out coming out of the all-star break. He is already this season at 434 and has run nearly eight per game so far in Brooklyn. So the ball is in his hands. He's making decisions. And he, he one of the things that's helping him with the Nets, besides the three-point shooting you mentioned, he's also getting the rim a little more frequently than he did in Phoenix. So I, I think there is maybe something here. It's interesting. He's much older than these players were when they made this transition. But you look at kind of the best players in the league, a lot of them are guys who started out in three and D roles and then graduated to something more. Giannis, it was maybe only really his rookie season. He was a 3 and D guy, but you look at Kawhi Leonard when he was drafted early in his career in San Antonio, Paul George early in his career in Indiana. And when you add kind of the, take those that skill set and layer the ability to make shots and make decisions off the dribble to it, that, that tends to be the most valuable players in the league. That's true. Um, we'll see where he, we'll see how the next year develops. Um, we could have a different, even more substantial discussion about him, maybe um, in small and large sample size theater uh, next year. Um, I also want to talk about the Sacramento Kings, who didn't get off to a great start this year. But now that the sample size is larger, 
have proven they're right now they're a top three team in the West um, and putting space in between them and the other teams. What I want to talk about specifically though, is their offense Pelton. Um, as we sit here right now, they are the number one offensive team in the league. Um, 118 points per 100 possessions. Um, while they have dynamic offensive players, um, Darren, you know, and they, they added some, some pieces that we knew should help them. Like they added Malik Monk, who's a, who's a scorer off the bench. They added Kevin Herter, who's turned into their starting two guard who can, he can hit shots. Um, I don't think we could have foreseen this. Uh, Fox is having the best year of his career. Uh, Sabonis was a two-time all-star in the, so not a surprise that he's an all-star again, really in my mind. Um, they move the ball. Well, they have performed, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't have to look more closely at their clutch numbers, but I feel anecdotally that they have performed well in the clutch this year. I certainly, uh, Darren Fox has, we've now seen them for 60 games. I think it's fair to say that they're a pretty good offensive team and, you know, it's, it's going to get them to the playoffs for the first time in oh, it's 16, 17 years, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing you could point to is a little bit of a reason for skepticism about the Kings being able to maintain quite this level of offense in the playoffs is they've been the, we talked about the injuries in the West. They've been the flip side of it where Fox has missed a few games. Sabonis is playing through the thumb injury that only I think caused him to miss one game, but they have just been remarkably healthy and had a great deal of continuity is a result of that. I mean, you think of these other coaches that are having to, you know, basically come up with their starting lineups on the fly from night to night. The Kings have used their primary starting lineup 46 times and have only used seven different starting lineups so far through 60 games. So that's a pretty big luxury for Mike Brown. But, you know, it, one of the things I went looking for- They were due for, for some luck. They were due for <laughs> some luck. Oh, <laughs> they are, but they are, by the way, far and away the number one um, offensive team in the clutch this year in 19 um, clutch situation. Actually, I'm sorry, in 32 clutch situations, um, they're 131 points per 100 possessions. So for the last five minutes, score within five points. I mean, people who I talk to about clutch will come and say to me, well, even though it's 30 games that there's some there's some luck that's in that. And, you know, maybe you could use that as a, as a reason why they are, you know, more fragile. I would just say that they're, you know, the number one clutch team in the league this year has been the Denver Nuggets, particularly because they are, they had, they remain, even though um, McMahon and Bontemps poo poo me when I talk about the Nuggets defense and clutch situations. Um, they're still second in the league in clutch defense and their net rating in clutch situations is wild. Their net rating clutch situations is 23. So over a hundred possessions in the clutch this year, they have outscored their opponents by 23. That's killer, killer basketball, but the, the Kings are right there at just under 14. So I don't know whether or not that's a big enough sample size for you to sell you to sell to you Pelton that they are legit. Um, but their numbers, particularly offensively imply that they are to be seriously um, considered a, a legitimate threat to do something. 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. It's funny because you mentioned the Kings, but not the offense. So I would look at their defense, actually, because uh, one of the things we also They don't want you to mention that. (laughs) One of the things we looked at in the small sample size theater, we talked about the offensive teams that were, you know, kind of under outperforming what you would expect at that point. Sacramento was underperforming, which you would have expected given the shots they were given up by the giving up by the most amount in the league. Uh, at at the point that we looked at this in mid-November, they were fifth in opponent shot quality and 29th in opponent effective field goal percentage. Since then, they have improved all the way from 29th to 28th. So, <laughs> yeah, defensively, they are still number 25 in defensive rating. And so, here's the bad news. The bad news is if you look since the the LeBron Cavs, who I, I don't think are probably quite comparable in terms of their effort level in the regular season to this year's Kings, uh, only one team outside the top 20 in defensive rating has won a playoff series in the past four postseasons. That was the Kings the first year that they had Harden, Kyrie, and KD together. They were 22nd. You mean uh, the Nets. You said the Kings. The Nets. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. the Nets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, if you, if you want a more optimistic viewpoint, there was a team that I found that is like a pretty good comparison for this year's Kings. Also came out of nowhere to have home court advantage and be the third seed uh, in that year's playoffs. And that was the the 2004-05 Sonics team. That was kind of my first year on the beat for them, working for them. Uh, they also had a bottom five defense. They had the number two offense in the league behind the Nash. I, the Nash what Suns. I remember about that team is they could shoot the hell out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. by today's standards, they'd probably be bottom 10. But <laughs> yes, um, Brent Barry. Barry um, was in San Antonio that year, which is part oh, of why it they came got, so surprising. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. But uh, Ray Allen, obviously, Richard Ray Lewis. They, they supplied the bulk of the threes. Then they'd go small off the bench and Vladi Radmanovic would come in. And that was kind of the modern lineup with Vladi and, and Richard Lewis as the forwards and, and either Nick Collison or or Danny Fortson at center that really kind of kind of was the, the Sonics trump Was that the Jerome the James year that uh, he was really good and, and against, got the, the, the Knicks to pay him? Against the Sacramento Kings in the first round, his former team. He brought out the trash bag that uh, he supposedly had used to collect his belongings when the Kings cut him. <laughs> oh my I, God. I don't remember that story. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, Jerome was a, a tremendously fun player to cover uh, and then went on to give the eventual champion Spurs maybe their toughest test and, and you know, at least in the, the toughest test in the Western Conference players. They went seven in the finals, uh, but uh, he took them to six in the second round in a series despite Richard Lewis mentioning. So you're games. saying put your money on the Kings to reach the <laughs> conference finals? Is I didn't necessarily say that. Help? No, I don't. I don't know if, uh, you know, we'll see who ends up the sixth seed if it's the Clippers uh, or or even, you know, if the Warriors manage to get up there, it's a little different than facing the 2004-05 Kings who were at the tail end of that run that they'd had in the first round. But there is but, precedent for a team like this winning a playoff series. I think I upset some Kings fans this week when I was on first take and I was saying how the Lakers in their dreams were thinking they could crawl to the sixth seed and get the Suns in the first round. And, you know, offended the Suns fans who's like, you know, nobody should be targeting us. The reason that teams, and, and by the way, whether it's the Lakers or not, there's still going to be teams who are going to want to would have interest in playing the Kings because of what you just said, because that their their defense isn't the strongest and that tends to come home to roost in the playoffs because they don't have experience. I mean, some of their players, you know, um Sabon, Sabonis has played in the playoffs, right? Yes. He um I think he missed the last time Indiana made the playoffs because he was injured in the bubble. But he okay. has played in the playoffs. Um, you know, they, they don't have a, you know, Herter has played in the playoffs. I mean, he was part of the team, went to the conference finals. Malik Monk, I don't think has ever played in the playoffs. Uh, maybe no, he has like he ever has. Um, Fox um anyway, hasn't. I, Fox hasn't, we haven't, we haven't said the so, name Keegan Murray is, is starting as a rookie. Keegan, Keegan Murray will so, be on the all rookie team for Her- sure. Harrison Barnes is the bulk of their playoff experience and Del yeah, yeah. So like. I don't think Mr. Delavadova will be playing in the playoff rotation. If you, with all due respect, I love Delhi, but um, if you see Mr. Delavadova in the playoffs, it's either over one way or the other, I think. Um, but you know, they have they have inexperience and their and their defense is um, is suspect. And you know, their clutch play. A lot of people don't think clutch play carries over to the postseason. I actually happen to believe it because one of the big things that the Kings needed going into the season was confidence because they didn't have any history of winning and their, their strong play in close games has helped build the confidence. I'm sure it's not going to continue where there are plus 14 in clutch situations. If they are, if they're plus 14 in clutch situations, they will win the title. That is my, my belief, unless they're just getting blown out and they have one clutch game in a series. But um, uh, so um, but I mean, the Kings are, the, the, the Kings are a legit team. I just think that of the teams in the West that you're looking at as a mark of the teams that are going to have home court. That's the team fair or not. Um, and they can, they proved everybody else wrong this year. Why can't they prove, uh, another team wrong, but, uh, or, or you know, whoever else uh, doubts them. But, um, here I am to say the Kings are legit number one offense. This is, as you said, this is the greatest offensive year. Since 1962, 1961, 62? It's the only highest scoring since 1969-70. So it's only okay. only 53 years. Okay. So it's the highest scoring season in 53 years. And amongst those highest scoring teams, no one scores more than the Kings. So that's a large sample size, uh, 50 years. It's uh, pretty powerful that they should be uh, reckoned with. But um, uh, do you have anything else in your notebook, Kevin, or is that it? I had a little more if we want to go back to to Portland to talk about them a little bit more because I mean I think what's kind of fascinating is that Damian Lillard we talked about that stretch 
as you mentioned, they had the it came during that homestand that they weren't really able to take advantage of. So the other team we looked at defensively is an outlier in terms of the shot quality stats at the start of the season was Portland. They were sixth in defensive rating when we recorded this in mid-November. They were 26th in opponent shot quality, eighth in opponent effective field goal percentage. Now you look at it, they are 24th in opponent effective field goal percentage. So that one has kind of played out in terms of the regression we expected. And since, you know, I talked about the 19 games where Dame is averaging about 40 on 50, 40, 90 shooting, the Blazers have the number one offense in that span in the league. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're not making up ground in the standings is they are number 30 at the defensive end. So, so the new Blazers are, just like the old place. Exactly. I mean, they, they changed coaches. They let Terry Stotts go and hired Chauncey Billups. And I think part of their, you know, their hope was, well, you know, we can stay as good as we were offensively. And then if we can just get even to, you know, like the Sacramento team, 25th in defense, which is an accomplishment for Mike Brown to get the Kings there, then that's a, that's a above 500 team. That's a, like the Sacramento, a team that could be contending for home court. But the, their defense this year looks pretty much exactly the same as it did a, did in Terry Stott's final year, even though it's a different style. Yeah. Well, they had hoped that Jeremy Grant would help. He's had a good season, but he obviously hasn't helped there. They signed Gary Payton with the intention to have him help. Um, obviously, that didn't work out. He's been hurt the whole year, and then they traded him. Um, so some of their personnel moves, you know, you know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't kind of work out, but. Um, you know, and now Simons is injured. Part of the reason why they're leaning so much on Lillard now is that Simons is, uh, is out with a grade two ankle, which is, you know, a multi-week injury. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Blazers are a fun team to watch, but they, they have not been able to demonstrate in all these years that they can do it at both ends regularly. And, um, you know, they they made that Western Conference Finals and they had the, you know, they had the lead. Well, I think they had a double digit lead in all four games, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to the Warriors. Now that Warriors team was very strong and um ended up losing in the finals to the uh uh to the to the Raptors when they had terrible injuries. But um, you know, they just haven't been able to get back to that level. So, but certainly incredible to watch Dame and as he is is so hot right now, we know that he goes through these periods where he just is just incendiary um it'll be interesting to see how um how he can try to shoot them basically into the playoffs um because um we've seen him chase it before so all right that's large sample size theater thank you mr pelton thanks to jackson and bruce our producers thank you for listening to the podcast we'll talk to you later this week And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.